What I wanted to talk about today is about the will of God for your life because sometimes, you know, we, we think, well, you know, I just want to serve God and do what he wants me to do. And a lot of people struggle in this area thinking that, you know, well, what's the ministry God's got for me, um, the great ministry, or they are seeking a ministry. In other words, they've, they've got in their heart, hey, I want to be something. I want to do something for God and I want this big ministry and just to do what God wants me to do, but they don't actually seek the one who's calling, they start to seek the calling itself. And what I wanted to do today is to just go through a few examples of people in the Bible that, that God called. And this is the thing that we need to understand, God's calling will come to you. You don't have to chase it. God doesn't try and keep secrets from us. He's not trying to keep his will hidden away. He wants us to know what he wants for our life. And when I start to go through these men of God that we read about in the Bible, you'll find something really quite amazing about them is that none of them ever really, when God called them, were saying, I just want to do what God wants me to do. Give me a ministry, God. I want to set your people free. I want to do this. I want to do great things for you, even though they might have. There's something that was common to all of them that we really need to understand. That God will call us. He will come and he will speak to us. God's calling comes to you. It is not about you going and finding it. God calls. The caller calls. The seeker seeks. But what are you seeking? And this is what we're going to look at. That the people that God calls, he just came to them. He said, I've got a job for you. But they did have a characteristic, except for maybe one, but I think the zeal that was in this man was just amazing. It was just wrongly guided. He had a zeal for God, but it was wrongly guided. The rest of them were just going about their business. The people that we're going to look at is um, Saul. Now, he's the one who... I would say was seeking in the wrong direction, but he was still zealous for God. The Ethiopian eunuch, Cornelius, Ananias, Peter, Samuel, David, and Solomon. These people we know are really well, we know a few of them. There's maybe a couple you might not really think about. Ananias is one, Cornelius is another. That we'll read about them. But these people were all just going about their business, loving God, serving God. Nothing spectacular happening in their life. But one thing they all had was this heart to seek God. This heart to know God. The heart to love God. And, and that song today that we sang, you know, my heart will sing no other name. Jesus. My heart will sing no other name. Jesus. And when we were singing that song, I was just thinking, man, is that what my heart's singing? Is that what my heart's actually crying out? There's nothing before you, Jesus. That's what it's meaning. So that when I cry out, I'm not crying out money. I'm not crying out success. I'm not crying out fame or fortune. I'm not crying out, flesh, comfort me. 
But my heart is engaged with Christ Jesus, the one who saved me. And my heart doesn't want to cry out anything else. So when I'm in trouble, my first cry is out to him. God, I need you. When I'm in a worshipful place, my heart is crying out, God, I love you for who you are. Not for what you can do for me, not for what what you have done for me necessarily. That's all part of it. But for you, God, my heart will cry no other name. I don't want to be yelling out to someone else. I don't want to be yelling out to an amazing preacher or an evangelist or a great leader of a nation. My heart, Jesus, cries for you. You can work through people, but my heart cries for you. It longs, it almost aches. And that's something we have to think about. So let's just have a look at a few of these people. Let's go to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. And we're going to look at um, Philip here and the Ethiopian eunuch and just see what the Ethiopian eunuch was doing and maybe even Philip as well. Okay. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the the Candate, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning, seated in his carriage. He was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as the lamb is silent before the shearers, he didn't open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me what the prophet was talking the prophet talking was the prophet talking about himself or someone else so beginning with this same scripture philip told him the good news about jesus and it ended up the, the eunuch got baptized but what was he doing when god came to him through philip he'd been to jerusalem to worship he was reading the bible in other words he was saying i want to know you god and what was philip doing just waiting around for god and god told him to do something And off he went and he did what God told him. But because the eunuch put himself in the place where he was just seeking God, God came and found him and he actually called him into salvation that day and called him into a baptism. We'll go to chapter 9 now and this is about Saul, Saul's conversion. I won't read too much about his conversion itself but we do know that he was travelling along the road and, and Jesus came to him in a vision with a bright light and a loud voice. And there was a transformation took place in that man that day. But he wasn't going around seeking a ministry for God or for Jesus at that time. But let's go on because the important people in this are average everyday people that we don't really hear much more about. But they had a quality about them 
that made them available for God to use when God wanted to use them. Let's have a look at Ananias. In verse 10 of chapter 9, this is after Saul had been made blind and he was led to Damascus. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I've shown him in in a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. And then it goes on. But when Paul starts to talk about this experience right here of meeting Ananias later on, it talks about how Ananias was praying as he did. It was his custom to pray. That's what he did. He served God diligently. All it says about him, he was a believer. He believed in God and he served God. He had a heart open to God. And when God needed to use him, God came and called him. And he said, Ananias, I've got a job for you. But Ananias wasn't going around saying, I want something really amazing, God, so that people remember me. Send someone to me. Because I want to be famous. But he was just doing his stuff as a Christian. As someone who was a believer of God, he went along in his everyday life doing what Christians should be doing, making himself available to the Lord, praying regularly as was his custom. In other words, he did it all the time. It was nothing special, nothing new. He just believed and sought God. Let's go to Cornelius, which is in Acts chapter 10. We'll start at verse 1 of Acts chapter 10. In Caesarea there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon about three o'clock he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming towards him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. The angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner, who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier. One of his personal attendants, he told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. Now let's look at Peter. The next day as Cornelius' messages were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon and he was hungry but while a meal was being prepared he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open and a large sheet came down. Okay, we'll just skip a little bit here to verse 19. Meanwhile as Peter was puzzling over the vision the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs. Go with them without hesitation. Don't worry for I have sent them. And off he went. And they brought salvation to Cornelius' household that day. But what do you notice about these two men? What was Cornelius' character? He was a devout, God-fearing man. And what was he doing? Giving generously to people and praying regularly to God. He had a lifestyle that showed that he wanted to seek the caller, the one who is calling. What was Peter doing? He was up on the roof and guess what he was doing? Praying. 
He was seeking God. But he wasn't praying specifically, Lord, I just want you to show me something today, what, I, what you want me to do. He was praying, which he did every day. As we say, it was his custom to do it. He was just seeking God. Let's go now back to the Old Testament. And I want to have a look at the characteristics of Samuel, especially here. Because Samuel was one of the, well, probably the greatest prophet in Israel. God used him so mightily. And he was around in a day, the Bible says, when there weren't many visions and nobody really heard from God. But something about this boy in a time when the world around him was really corrupt, and we'll see as we start to read the story, the temple he was in or the church he was in was really corrupt. The priests were taking of the offering before it was even offered so that they could eat it. They were um, seducing women at the gates of the temple. And there was corruption that was rife amongst the priests. Samuel was a boy who was a special gift from God to a woman named Hannah that God gave her and she dedicated him to God and he worked in the temple. Let's go there then to 1 Samuel chapter 2. I just want to show you something about this boy, something that, that sort of set him apart from the day he was in. So it's one chap, one Samuel, chapter two. I can find my marker. Okay. So he was given over to be looked after by Eli the priest there. So it's one Samuel, chapter two. I think it's chapter 2. Well done. No, it must be chapter 3, verse 6. 2.16. Sorry, 2.16, that's my fault. We'll start at verse 16. It's just talking about how corrupt the priests were here. The man offering the sacrifice might reply to the priest, take as much as you want, but the fat must be burned first, which was a requirement of what God wanted. Now give it to me now or I'll take it before us, is what they'd say. So the sin of these young men was very serious in the Lord's sight, for they treated the Lord's offerings with contempt. But Samuel, though he was only a boy, served the Lord. He wore a linen garment like that of a priest. So even though he was a boy, he had caught hold of the fact that he was there to serve the Lord in the temple. He wasn't there to to be somebody great, but he was there to serve the Lord and do what he wanted. He wasn't there to be corrupt, to take take, um, possession of things that didn't belong to him. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 3. When the Lord speaks to Samuel. If you look at 1 Samuel chapter 3, this is what I was saying before. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now, in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare and visions were quite uncommon. One night Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. Suddenly the Lord called out, Samuel. Yes, Samuel replied, what is it? He got up and ran to Eli. Here I am, did you call me? 
I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. So he did. Then the Lord called out again, Samuel. Again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, my son, Eli said. Go back to bed. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. So the Lord called a third time and once more Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, go and lie down again. If someone calls you again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed. And the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, speak, your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do a shocking thing in Israel. I'm going to carry out all my threats against Eli and his family from beginning to end. I've warned him that judgment is coming upon his family forever because his sons are blaspheming God and he hasn't disciplined them. So I vowed that the sins of Eli and his sons will never be forgiven by sacrifices and offering. God started to talk to him. And it's just quite interesting that sometimes we feel the same way in our life, don't we? That this is a time when God doesn't seem to be saying anything. And sometimes we get concerned about that. We start to worry, oh God, what do you want me to do? And we we sometimes can work ourselves up into such a state wondering what God wants for my life. But I just want to tell you this morning, don't worry. Don't worry. The characteristic that we see of Samuel is that he just served the Lord. Where he was, he did what, what he was doing but serving the Lord. And that was a really big key because as soon as God began to speak, he heard. He didn't really hear the voice properly the first time, but eventually he understood that it was God speaking to him and giving him something to do. And if you read through the books of Samuel, what an amazing man. What a man connected to God. And I just want to encourage people not to worry about the big things God might have for them. Not to worry about, am I missing what God wants? I just want to say, if you are seeking God, you will hear his voice. And it will be clear. You will know it's him speaking to you and he will give you things to do. And sometimes people excuse the the serving because they think, oh, God's something big for me. God's got something big for me and they won't do the little things. They won't do the little things. They won't be faithful in service to whatever God tells them to do right now. What are those things? Well, let's just have a look at some things we know are God's will for our life. One, he wants us to make disciples of all men. He wants us to be salt in the world. He wants us to be light in the world. He wants us to do everything without complaining and grumbling. He wants us to love our enemies and pray for them. He wants us to not forsake coming together, as some did. Can you see how sometimes we miss the little things? We, we, we say, you know, God, I know you've got something great for me. But the way the kingdom of God works is like this, that if you are faithful in the little, he will entrust you with much. Do you really want to do something great for God or do you really want to do something great for you so that you can be remembered? That's what we have to start thinking. God, if you've got something great for me, fantastic. Trust that his calling will come looking for you. David was out in the fields. 
In fact, he had to be called in especially because Samuel had gone around saying to all the sons, no, that's not the king, that's not the king, that's not the king, that's not the king, that's not the king. And Jesse's there going, well, you said I had a king amongst my sons. David was out in the field. Bring him in. That's the king. I've got a job for that man. Moses was at the backside of the desert. God appeared to him in a burning bush and said, I've got a job for you. Described as the humblest man in all the world. When he was young, he thought he had a great job delivering the people and he did it wrong. He started to try and rise up himself and he killed the Egyptian guard because he had a passion for God's people, for the oppression they were under. But Moses got led out into the desert to find God, to get rid of the Egypt that was in him. Remember this man, Moses was brought up with the best schooling, the best education, and it even talks about him being a fine speaker back in Egypt. But when God found him, what did he say? I can't do this, God. I mumble and stumble and I've, I've, got, a, I've got a stutter. Same man. But he'd been led to somewhere that caused him to seek God. What do you think David did out in the fields? Praising God, just, just loving God. He didn't seek to be the king of Israel. Moses, when he was finally called, he wasn't looking to be the deliverer of Egypt. He was just walking around under the desert with his sheep. But God had a job for him. What were the disciples doing? They were there mending their nets and Jesus said, come and follow me. They weren't following around Jesus, pulling out his robe, saying, give me a job, Jesus, give me a job. They were just doing stuff, just like me and you. But the calling of God came. Don't ever be worried that you'll miss his calling for your life if you're seeking him. Can you understand that? Seek the caller, not the calling. And when it's time for you, when God says, I've got a job, he'll let you know. Because it says the sheep know the shepherd's voice. The goats don't know it. They'll do what they want. But the sheep, the ones who stay there, with the master who stay in the fold, who who follow him when he leads them beside the still waters into the green pastures, they know his voice. So it's not going to be a mystery. He will show you clearly what he wants for your life. Gideon was another man. The same thing. He was out threshing wheat in a wine press because of the enemies around him and God said, I've got a job for you. I'm going to make you a judge of Israel to help deliver my people from oppression. Isn't that amazing? We sometimes get it all so mixed up in our head. Thinking that we've just got to be working and striving and and gaining God's approval for him to use us. No, we've just got to love him. We've got to worship him. We've got to give our heart to him. And when it's time, he'll call. He'll call. And the ones he calls to greatness are usually the most humble, most servant-hearted, most kind, most beautiful people that you've ever met in your life. 
because their heart is connected to the one who calls them. So please, this morning, I'm just hoping that you will understand that if you feel that pressure, I want to know God's will, I just can't see it. (laughs) Don't worry. Just don't worry. Just seek him. Just seek him. And his will will come looking for you. His will will come looking for you. Does that make sense? Yeah? All right. Come on, musicians, come up. Let's praise God. And I don't know if anyone's been struggling with that in their life, sort of all this time. They just struggle, struggle, struggle. I'm not doing what God wants. I want to do what God wants. And it's a pressure. Not, not just, you know, how sometimes we think, which is really quite true. We should be saying, God, what do you want me to do? But where it's a pressure in their life so that it's a weight that's really weighing them down, um, I'd like to pray for you today that that weight would be lifted up and off you and that you would understand that it's the connection to the one who calls that's what's important. And maybe you can start going down that track and just trust him. You know, we miss so many opportunities of serving God because we're looking at what this amazing calling is. But God just wants us to be faithful and true and honest in what we've been given. When you look at that parable of the servants, each servant was given whatever they could actually manage properly. Okay, and now not everyone's going to be able to do everything because we have abilities, talents and gifts that God gave us that what we can handle. So one will be given a little bit to do. You know, like people might say, I might be setting up a back table at church or, you know, helping someone across the street. We just feel that, hey, I've just got to go and talk to that person, something like that. Others will be given more responsibility according to their gifts and talents. It says the master gave out the money. God's not going to ask you to do something you can't do. But each of those servants that took that money had to do something with it. One hit it in the ground because he he didn't understand God's heart. And maybe that's someone here today. You think God's really harsh and mean and nasty and you're scared. You think you might get it wrong. What if I do the wrong thing, God? What if I do the wrong thing? So what if you do? What if you do? Big deal. When you're giving your heart to God, all that stuff doesn't matter. The ones who took the the money that he gave them and did something with it that produced more, there's a reward for them. In fact, God says, you know what, enter into this. This is your reward. I'm giving you more responsibility because the faithfulness had had showed that they were true to God. And the master said, I'm giving you more responsibility. Take the money off that lazy servant, give it to someone else who's going to actually do something with it. But it wasn't like they all had to get, you know, a million dollars and make five million more. He just gave it to them and said, do something with this. Do something with what I gave you. Don't be a slack-ass Christian, (laughs) really. Probably shouldn't say that word in church. But that's 
what it's like. You know, don't just sit down. Do something with what you've got. Do something with what you've got. Let God increase it in your life. And then God gives you more. Do you really want to do something amazing for God? Do the little thing and do it well. But out of a servant's heart to him, when it's the right time, he'll give you more. And it's one of the things that I find so strange about us today. We try to escape responsibility. Don't we? But do you know what? Responsibility in God's kingdom is an absolute honour. It's an absolute honour because God said, because you've done a good job, I'm going to give you more responsibility, which means I'm working for God at another level that I hadn't before. Don't try and run away from it. If you've got a job to do for God, I don't want to be in charge. I don't want the responsibility. I just want to cruise through life. Well, I'll tell you right now, that is not God kingdom mindedness. That's worldly mindedness. That's about me not having to put myself out there in case I do the wrong thing or, you know, people won't lie at me or whatever it is. We need to change the way we think and we need to be absolutely committed to the things of God in our heart, which means being committed to Him. And if you get responsibility, you should just rejoice because God has decided that you are worthy of that responsibility. Work in that place. Don't run away. I don't need it. I don't want it's too much. La-di-da. What we do, the excuses we come up with not to serve God, they're amazing. But God wants to increase that. 